All right, now if you got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1. If you got your handout this morning, you'll notice that I'm talking to you about the resurrection effect. What kind of effect should the resurrection of Jesus Christ have on our lives? What should it do for us? How should it change us? And I think you're going to be able to see this morning from this text that that was Paul's concern when he spoke to this Corinthian church. I want you to remember, if you have any biblical background at all, you might remember that the Corinthian church was a messed up church. They had all kinds of problems and sins and lack of commitment and, and the, the church itself was disorganized and in chaos and gifts not being used correctly and people not growing in their faith the way that they should. This was a messed up church, okay? And yet, Paul still loved it. God still loved it. God still cared for it. And he gives the final chapter of this, or the next to last chapter in 1 Corinthians, to help them understand that the problem is they're missing something. They're missing one of the most important parts of the gospel. They are not looking at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because if they were, it should affect them in such a way that they stand fast in the work of the Lord, that they are unmovable in their faith, that they are always abounding in the work of the Lord because they know that their work in the Lord is not in vain. And we're going to see that when we get to the end of 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to remind you this morning that as a Christian, we are called to die daily to ourselves. Amen? We're called to no longer live in the flesh and for the passions of the flesh anymore, but to live for God. We're called to deny ourselves and to follow Him. We are called to lose our lives in order to gain eternal life. Look with me if you would at John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25, and we'll have these on the screen for you so you don't have to flip real fast. Just hold your place in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want you to see what this says. Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, then it remains alone. In other words, picture this agriculture for a minute. If you take a grain of any type of plant life, if it falls to the ground and it just dies, but it does not go into the ground, then it remains alone. That's it. It's done for. But the point being is if a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies in that ground, buried, it bears much fruit. Look at verse 25. Whoever, here's the example, that was the example, here's the teaching. Whoever loses his life, I'm sorry, whoever loves his life, Whoever loves his life, what will happen to it? He'll lose it. It'll remain alone. But if it dies, just like that seed, something comes out of it. New life comes out of it. And the point being is this. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's what we're called to. We're called to die just like a seed that falls to the ground. And we are called for new life to come out of what God is creating inside of us. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Because here's the problem with us dying to ourselves. The, the reason Jesus died, one of the reasons Jesus died, is to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You want to know why you have such a problem dying to yourself? You want to know why you have such a problem dying to the pleasures of your flesh, dying to the sin in your life? The reason why you have such a difficult time dying to yourself and losing your life so that you can gain it for eternal life? It's because you're a slave to the fear of death. You don't realize that. But let me tell you, your whole life is lived trying to fulfill what you need in this life. Because the truth of the matter is, deep down you know death is coming. 
And so everything in your life is navigating toward, I've got to live it up now. Because as they say and the young folks are used to, I don't know what they say today, but used to they say YOLO. Y'all know what YOLO means? You only live once. So in other words, I've got to make the most of this life. I've got to get everything that I can. I've got to get my retirement in place. And I've got to always be uh, fighting against this death so that I can make the most of this life. And the problem is, when you live in that kind of slavery, you're not able to die to yourself. But if you recognize that this is not the only life you live, that YOLO is not true, You don't only live once. The truth of the matter is, you live twice. And then everybody that lives the second time will either spend an eternity in heaven or they'll spend an eternity dying a second death, as the Bible calls it. Y'all tracking with me this morning? And so we have to be set free from this lifelong slavery of the fear of death that we don't even realize that we're subject to. And you're trying to make the most of this life. You're trying to live for this life. And that was the difference between the disciples prior to the resurrection. You remember what they were doing after Jesus died? They were hiding for what? For fear of their lives. For fear of the Jews. They were behind locked doors. Why? Because they were slaves to the fear of death. But what happened when they saw that Jesus had conquered death? They were set free. The resurrection, whenever we recognize that this is not my only life, as a matter of fact, my life is in Him and it will be forever and ever. And when we truly believe that, and when we truly understand that, when we feel the weight of the resurrection and understand what it means, we're set free from the fear of death. And we begin to live our life unto Him for His glory. We are that grain of wheat that falls to the ground and we die and we happily lose our life now so that we can gain it forever. Y'all track it. Y'all still with me, right? Alright, let's keep going this morning. Death is our dreaded enemy. Death was the result of the fall of sin in the beginning. You remember that? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. This is the result of us wanting to live for ourselves and not for the glory of God. This is the result of us rebelling against God. When you disconnect yourself from the source of life, the only thing left is death. And so the only hope for us is to be reconnected to our source of life so that we can live for eternity like we were created to in the first place. Death is described as the last enemy to be defeated at the end. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. Look at what this says. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. The last enemy to be destroyed. Jesus has already destroyed it. But one day, you and I will destroy it if we are in Jesus Christ. If we have died to this life and we have by faith risen to walk in new life with Him, we will defeat death too. Revelations 21 verse 4 also describes death as our last enemy. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall what? Be no more. This is our hope. Our hope is that we are not going to die. Are we going to die in this body? Yes, this body is flesh and blood and we're going to see it has to fall into the ground and it has to take seed and and it has to gain new life out of it. Yes, this body is going to die. But you in Christ will never die. That's the promise of Jesus. Alright? And so those are a few scriptures that you need to think about. I want you to think about your life for a minute. Usually at about age 30 to 40, that's when we begin to see our bodies start slowly failing. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's usually about the time where I started noticing. I'd wake up and go, oh, what is that? Never felt that before. And then they get worse and worse as the years go by, Right? And then some in their elderly years, they try to do everything they can to fight against it. I've seen, uh, I remember back, I'm going to pick on Ralph Harrell for a minute, but I remember years ago, Ralph would, 
out here in these gymnasiums, he would climb the beams all the way up one side and he would pretty much shimmy them things all the way across. He'd do whatever he wanted to do. When we'd have family days down at the creek, I can remember Ralph would get up in the trees and do double backflips, double backflips out of trees into five feet of water. That's right, you heard me. And I can remember, not too many years ago, Ralph did that. And when he woke up the next morning... Ralph realized, I can't do this kind of stuff anymore. I can't do this. His body is beginning to fail him. It's not what it once used to be. And every one of us experienced that. Some of us more earlier than others. Um, sometimes death comes in, uh, early in life. Sometimes it's babies. Sometimes it's teenagers. Sometimes it's late in life. It doesn't matter when it comes. We know it's coming. For others, um, the body has already uh, started to fail and you already know that death is knocking on your door. There are some people that experience it that way. However death comes, the one thing we all know is that it is a terrible foreign enemy, right? It's not, it's not something that it's supposed to be. And we don't never really understand that until one day we're facing our own mortality or we're staring into the casket of a loved one gone always too soon. And we know this is not right. Something about this is not right. This is not the way that it should be. And you want to know what? You're right. It's not the way that it should be, but it's the way that it is. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, let's go to it, verse 1. Paul is dealing with a church that they are failing to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they can't turn loose of this life. They can't turn loose of selfishness and living for self and living for their sin. And he wants to lay out for them again the gospel that he once preached to them, that they once believed, but apparently they aren't holding on to it the way that they should because their lives don't reflect someone that understands I am dying to this life so that I can have eternal life that Jesus Christ gives me by being in Him. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, go with me there. Verse 1 through 11, look what this says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, you received this gospel, and also in which you stand, so you stand in this gospel, and by which you are being saved by this gospel, this good news. How, how does God do that? God made a promise. Whoever will believe and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ to the point that you trust in Him like you would a parachute if you were jumping out of a plane, and you hold on to Him with everything in you, and he said here, I preached this gospel to you, and it was the promise of God that said, if you trust in Him, you will be saved. I will save you. And you heard it. You believed it. You received it. You stand in it. And you are being saved in it, if indeed, look what he says next, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, the true saints of God, the true saved people are going to endure to the end, right? We're going to continue believing in it. We're not going to believe in it today and then quit believing tomorrow. If that's the case, you were never truly part of us and Jesus Christ was never truly your Savior according to the Word of God. But this is the gospel that we preach. Now verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's the gospel that Christ died. Why? For our sins. And it's exactly the way the Scriptures said He would. And verse 4, that He was buried. Why is that important? Because you need to understand, He didn't just partially die. He went to the grave. He went to the place of the dead. And so Jesus died, He was buried, and then notice the last part of the Gospel and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And you say, well, Paul, I just don't know. I had a friend one time that I was preaching. good friend of mine. I went to high school with him. We ran around together long before I was a Christian, back in my uh, wild and stupid days. Anybody had any of them? <clears throat> and um, I remember I ran around with this guy, and, and I, after I became a preacher, y'all know some of them people wanted to come and see, is Kevin Wells really a preacher? Yeah. Yeah, he's a preacher. 
And I got up there and I was preaching a revival that day. I was at another church and he came up to me after me and he said, Hey, I was this close. I was this close to believing the gospel. And I said, Brother, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, Well, I can believe a man would die for my sins. He said, I can believe that he was buried. He said, But one thing I can't believe. I can't believe a man rose from the dead. Because when you're dead, you're dead. And it broke my heart. You don't know why? Because the truth of the matter is, if you can't believe that He has the power over death, you can't be saved. He can't save you. But to understand that the full gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is the good news. Because without a resurrection, all you have is a dead Savior. And if all you have is a dead Savior, is there any good news in that? If He can't defeat death for Himself, can He do anything for you? No. No. But if He can raise Himself from the dead, what can He do for you? He can give you new life too. And that's our hope. And so we have the gospel. But He said, hey, if you don't believe me, look what He says next in verse 5. And that He appeared to Cephas, to Peter. He said, listen, if you don't believe me, go back and ask Peter. And now you think about Peter prior to the resurrection. Peter was the one that believed in Jesus before the resurrection to the point that when Jesus said, Hey Peter, who do men say that I am? They said, Well, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Moses. Some say you're just a great man of God. He said, Okay, but who do you say that I am? And you remember what Peter said? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's faith, ain't it? Peter believed. But this is also the same Peter that prior to the resurrection denied that he even knew Christ three times. Shamed of him. This is also the Peter that got beat running to the grave according to, running to the empty tomb according to John chapter 20. Just dragging his feet to get there. Wasn't in no hurry. This is also the same Peter that's hiding for his life from the Jews prior to the resurrection. But then this is the same Peter that after the resurrection gave his life for the gospel. What happened? The resurrection effect happened to Peter. When when Peter understood that this man defeated death, he understood that this man has the power to give me life. And when you you have the belief and understanding that Jesus has the power to give me life, you're not scared to die. And so Peter, he says, listen, if you don't believe in the resurrection church of Corinth, go back and ask Peter about it. And ask him how you go from being scared for your life, being only willing to live for you, and then you go to completely giving your life to the point that you are crucified upside down. At his request, by the way. The Bible, or not the Bible, but church tradition tells us that Peter didn't want the honor of being crucified right side up the way that Jesus was. He didn't feel worthy. And so at his request, if they were going to kill him, his request was, can I be crucified upside down? Because I'm not worthy to die the same way that he did. How do you get to that mindset, the resurrection effect? That's my problem. That's your problem. You want to know why we can't turn loose of this life and why we can't live for the glory of God in Jesus Christ? It's because you've not truly believed and understood that He has the power to give you life and life eternal. And when you understand that and when you look at the witnesses and the evidence of the resurrection, your life completely changes. i got to speed through this. Go with me next. Not only that, but he says, then he also appeared to the twelve. It wasn't just Peter that did this. You remember Thomas? Thomas said, I won't believe unless what? Unless I put my hands in his scars. I won't believe unless I touch his hands. And you want to know something? That's probably the way I'd have been too. Probably the same way I'd have been. But you want to know what happened at that moment? The Lord Jesus appeared out of nowhere. He said, hey Thomas, come put your hand in my side. Come feel the scars. And when Thomas felt that, he went from hiding behind locked doors to also giving his life for the gospel, standing in front of people that were trying to kill him, just like Peter did. And Peter preaches to him and says, hey, you killed him! Talking to the Jews, the very people he was running for his life from. How do you go from here to there? The resurrection changed everything. 
And so ask the twelve. Ask the twelve that each and every one of them gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't just stop there. Verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then notice what he says. Most of whom are still alive today. You know this book has never been disputed. Nobody ever stood up and said, Oh, Paul, you were lying. You know, it would have been easier for Paul to have said, You know what? Go and ask them other two witnesses. Well, you could, but they're already gone to be with the Lord. That's not what happened. Paul said, You don't believe me? Go and check with them other 500 people that are still alive to this day. Go look at their lives and go see what they've done and then you'll understand that the Lord Jesus lives and they are evidence of it. And then not just them, but look what he says next in verse 7. Then he appeared to James. You know who James was? James was the brother of Jesus. And then in James chapter 1, verse 1, how do you go from being the, the brother of Jesus? Can you imagine, how many of y'all have brothers in here? Y'all got a, a brother, got siblings that are brothers? How many of y'all could get down with your brother coming up and standing up one day saying, I am the Messiah? My sister's in here today. If I stood up here this morning and said, I am the Messiah, even as good as I try to be today, my sister stand up today and say, will you sit your butt down? You ain't no Messiah. How do you go from being the brother of Jesus to this right here when he writes his letter? He says, James, a servant of God and of what? If you can convince your brother, there ain't but one way to do that. James saw his brother dead and James saw his brother alive. And he don't identify himself anymore by saying, yeah, I'm the brother of the crazy man that was running around saying he was the Messiah. No, but instead now he says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to what the next part says in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. This was Paul. If you want to know, ask Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to even be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. My favorite scripture in all of the Bible right there. Can I say that to y'all this morning? By the grace of God, guess what? I am what I am. And I am a saved, born-again believer. Not because of who I am, but because of what He's done by His grace. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And then he says next, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether it, then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Here's the point. The resurrection is the gospel that you heard. It's the gospel that should have changed your life if you're believing in it, but something's missing. And what's missing is you're not standing in it day after day after day so that you are not afraid to lose this life, but that you believe it enough to actually live for eternal life. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Is that not our problem? We're afraid to lose this life. You know why? Because you are a slave to the fear of death. Because in the back of your mind, you really believe that this is all that there is. And so then when death comes knocking on your door of a loved one or something else, then all hope is gone. And I want to tell you something. When you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your hope is never gone. It's never gone. Keep reading with me. Let's go next to the resurrection problem. Paul, what's the problem with not believing in a resurrection? Well, verse 12. I'll go through these a little bit quicker. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And now verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, I got no good news for you. Your problem remains. If there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain. Why? Because you have no hope. Death is still coming for you. And your problem is still here. Verse 15. We are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified that God raised Jesus from the dead whom He did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
So in other words, the problem with the resurrection is if there is one, I'm misrepresenting God because I'm telling you that there is a resurrection of the dead. But if you say there's not, go with me to verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But you know why? Because if Jesus has not been raised, the payment has not been accepted and death still has claim on Him. And if death still has claim on Him, it still has claim on us. But if He has been raised from the dead, death has been satisfied. Keep going with me in verse 18. Then those also, here's the other problem, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have what? They've perished. Boy, that's sad, ain't it? Anybody in here lost a loved one? Somebody you love very much? Wouldn't it be hopeless if you would never see them again? And that was just the end? That's what a non-resurrected Christ would do for you. Verse 19, And if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, look at verse 20, because we move to the resurrection order. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then I want you to look at the order. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. You know why? Because in Adam you have a sin nature. As I've told you so many times before, how many of you got kids? Did you have to teach your kid how to lie? Did you have to teach your kid how to do something wrong? No. Matter of fact, just the opposite. Probably one of the first words out of your mouth when they began walking was, No. Don't do that. Don't touch that. No. Quit that. Stop that. You can't do that. Why? Because by nature, we are rebels. By nature, we are sinners. By nature, we do not want what you want us to do. I want to do what I want to do. And as a matter of fact, if you tell me not to do something, you know what that makes me want to do? In Adam, all die because we have this rebellious nature against authority. And ultimate authority is God. And when you disconnect yourself from your source of life, death is what you have to look forward to. But now look what he says next. In Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Can I tell you that when this says all, this literally means all? Now listen, I'm not preaching a universal salvation, but I am telling you that one day when the trumpet sounds, Christ Jesus is going to call from the grave every dead that has ever lived. And they will stand before the judgment seat. And they will give an account. And then there will be books that will be read from. And the ones that are in the book of life, they will go into eternal life with Him. And the ones that are in the book that, that are not written in the book of life, they are going to be cast into the lake of fire with death and hell, which is called the second death for eternity forever and ever. All are going to be made alive in Jesus Christ. All are going to defeat death one time, but not the second death. Now keep going with me. Notice what he says next. But each in his own order. Here's the reason why I call this the resurrection order. Because that word order can be translated troop or regiment. Each in his own troop. Each in his own regiment. In other words, we are all going to be made alive, but each in his own order, in his own troop. Jesus is the first fruits. Look what it says next right here. The, here's the order of it. It says, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Do you see that? So here we have an order of how we are going to defeat death. First off, Jesus Christ has defeated death. Second off, at His coming, those that belong to Christ are going to rise from the grave. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think um, verse 16 and 17. 
For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Why? Because just like He spoke to Lazarus from the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, the one who has the power over death is going to call out to those that belong to Him and say, come forth. And you know what happens when Jesus, the word of life, speaks to a dead man? He comes out. And he says here, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's the order. The dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, if you are still alive and remain, you're not going to precede those that are already in the grave. No, we are going to meet them. Look what it says in verse 17. Then we who are alive, here's the next order, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, who is we? You and me that are alive and remain, the dead in Christ that have already gone on before us. And then we will always be with the Lord, defeating death forever and ever. Death will be no more And this is the order that we see in this. The first wave, of course, is Jesus Christ. The second wave, of course, is the ones that belong to Him when He comes. And then finally, keep going with me in 1 Corinthians 15, verse um, verse 24. Here's the last order. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, every power, for He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Finally, death is destroyed forever and ever, and the only people that will ever die again are the ones that die in the second death with death itself and hell that are all thrown into the lake of fire. And you can read all about that in Revelation chapter 20 if you want to go there and see that. But keep reading with me here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that He is accepted. In other words, God the Father is not under the subjection of God the Son. But... He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. And when all things are subjected to Him, Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to God the Father who put all things in subjection under Him. Why? So that God may be all and all. And ultimately we go back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning before sin ever entered. Now we go to the next part, the resurrection life. What kind of life should we live whenever we do this? Well, look with me, if you would, at verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now listen, in this time, again, they're a messed up church, right? They're a messed up church. They are actually believing that dead people will be able to be baptized so that hopefully they will be able to go to heaven. He's not condoning that. He's saying, listen, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then why are you doing this? What purpose does this serve? Because there's no hope for them. And so here he's just finally saying that, listen, this is the reason why we do things like baptizing and show that we buried our old life and we rise up to walk in new life. It demonstrates that one day He will give us eternal life with Him. Why do you do that? Why, what else do we do? Look at, verse 20, look at verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? Why do you put yourself in danger every hour by being a Christian, Paul? And then he says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. I put my flesh to death every day. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection and I'm not living for this life. I'm living for that life. Now keep going with me. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Here's what he said, Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow what? We die. In other words, this is the reason why I don't just eat, drink, and live it up here now. That used to be my life. Can anybody relate to that? 
that's not my life anymore. You know why I don't live that way anymore? Because I am putting my faith and my trust in Christ. I am dying to this life and to rebellion and to sin against God. And I am living unto Him because my faith and my trust is in Him. And this is why I live the life that I live because the resurrection promises me that I have a new life that I'm going to and I believe it. And let me tell you something, if you don't believe it, that's why you don't live a different life. That's why you just eat and drink and live however you want to live because as far as you're concerned, in the back of your mind, tomorrow you die, so you better enjoy it all now. Right? Now keep going with me. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This is the reason why I choose who I hang out with a little bit wiser than I used to. Amen? Listen, I got some good old boys. They was in my wedding. (laughs) My best men, they left me laying in my bedroom on my wedding morning and they came to the church without me. (laughs) True story. True story. And I loved them boys. Man, we came up together, we were tight. You know how many of them I'm still tight with today? None of them. You know why? Because I live a different kind of life. Am I saying I'm better than them? (laughs) No, not by a long shot. I'm the same as they were. But today, I live a different kind of life. And I don't keep that same kind of company because I believe in another life that I'm living for. Keep going with me. Let's see what else this life looks like. Verse 34, Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is, as it is right, and do not go on sinning. This is the reason why I'm turning away from sin and I'm fighting my sin and I'm learning to live for the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe in the resurrection. Now keep going. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Remember, he's talking to a messed up church, right? Now keep going with me. Let's look at the resurrection body. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Notice this right here. He gives us a picture of agriculture again. And He says, guys, listen to me. Just think about life in general and agriculture. When you take a kernel of corn and you put it in the ground, does it remain that kernel of corn? No, it dies and it rots. And then out of that kernel of corn, what comes out of it? New life. And does it look like the same kind of body that it was put in the ground? No, it looks different. But this new life comes out and God gives it a body as He pleases. And this is the same thing that's going to happen to you. There is going to be a transformation. This old corrupt, and you're going to read here in a minute, he calls it a weak body. He calls it a perishable body. He calls it a dishonorable body. He calls it a body that is sown in dishonor. But the point being is this. Out of this body comes a transformation. And in the twinkling of an eye, he says, you are going to be changed. Literally. Anybody in here ever watch Star Trek? You remember Beam Me Up, Scotty? You remember how that looked? That's kind of the way I picture it in my head. This transformation that takes place to where God takes this old body and as it's going to meet the Lord, the new one is being made and out of this body comes this new transformed body. That is, let's keep reading. Go down with me to verse um, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is what? Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You better believe that. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first. It's the natural that is first. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the man of dust was, so also are those that are of the dust. Now think about that. 
The reason why you have the body you have today is because your forefather Adam had this kind of body. Alright? A perishable body. A dishonorable body. However, look what he says next. He says, So as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. Jesus, when He was risen, His disciples were not able to recognize Him at first, were they? But then when He wanted them to know who He was, guess what? Their eyes were open and they knew exactly who He was. Jesus had a body that it was like the old body. You know what I mean? He had scars in His hand. You were able to recognize Him for who He was. But it was not a natural body because this dude could walk through walls. You remember that? The disciples are hiding behind locked doors and for fear of their lives. And then where does Jesus come from? From the other side of the wall, He just appears with them. Jesus is able to play hide and seek with His body pretty good. Jesus could eat with them. Jesus could drink with them. But His body was not dependent upon food and drink. It was just for His enjoyment and for fellowship with others. And I want you to think, the Bible says that that is the kind of body that you are going to have. So literally, I want you to think about this. Literally, you are going to have a body that you are going to be able to walk and you are going to be able to talk and you are going to be able to play and you are going to be able to fellowship and eat and drink and enjoy all of the new heaven and all of the new earth and you're going to be able to do it with all of those people that have died in Christ before you. I love that old song that Brad Paisley sang. He said, I'm going to walk with my granddaddy. Anybody say amen to that? I'm going to walk with my granddaddy. I'm going to walk with my grandmother. Some of y'all are going to walk with your mama. Some of y'all are going to walk with your, with your husband, with your wife. Some of y'all are going to walk with your children. The point being is this. The hope that we have is that the same kind of body that Jesus has is the same kind of body that He promises that we are going to be transformed into. And we are going to share eternal life together with all of those that are in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Look with me. Keep reading with me. This stuff's too good to quit now. Verse 50, let's look at the resurrection mystery. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So in other words, we can't inherit it the way that we are. So, i got to tell you a mystery, something you may not understand. And look what he says next, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on an imperishable. That transformation, Scotty got to beam me up. This transformation has to take place, and it is going to take place, either from the grave, from the dust even, No matter where it is, your old body is going to be called back together. And out of this old body, like a seed in the ground, is going to transform and come forth a new body. And this body is the body that is going to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. I want you to think about this for a minute. The um, scientists say that the human can, the average human, blinks 14,000 to 20,000 times a day. 14,000 to 20,000 times a day is how often you blink. And what Paul is saying here is that this transformation is going to happen so fast, it's going to be like the blink of an eye. And they say that a blink measures about a third of a second. That's how fast it's going to happen. You're not going to see dead bodies laying on the ground. No, because this old body is transformed. 
and then it becomes a new body. But it is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. And notice he says, this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. And here's where we get into the resurrection song. This is a song that was sung, I think it was back in Isaiah is where it's from, if I remember right. But look what he says. Then shall come to pass, when this happens, when your transformation happens, when your order, when your regiment comes, when you defeat death, when Christ calls you either from the grave or from this body if you're still alive, when that happens, this is the song that we're going to sing. And look what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death... Where is your victory? How many of you would love to look in the casket of your loved one and watch him rise up from it and look at death and say, Oh, death, where is your victory now? How many of you, when you look in the casket of your loved one, would like to grab death by the throat and punch his lights out? Well, you will get to sing a song one day to him. And it's a song of taunt. And you'll look death in the eye that took so much that you love from you. And you'll look him in the eye and you'll say, Death, (laughs) where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And then notice what he says next. And here's why we'll sing this song. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And if Jesus died for sin, then sin has no more sting, right? And if Jesus nailed the law of God to the cross, according to Colossians Colossians chapter 2, then sin has no power anymore. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us what? Victory. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the reason I gather at church Sunday after Sunday. The reason I stand up here and preach Sunday after Sunday. It ain't got nothing to do with having a crowd in a building. Truth of the matter is, I don't like crowds. Ask my wife sitting right there. She prays for me all the time. She begs me to go to the doctor. You got to get you something. You got to get you some help because I hate crowds. I hate crowds. It takes everything in me to stand back here at this door and just smile at y'all and shake your hand going by because everything in me wants to go. Oh, I can't do this. Just get away from me. I just want to go home and I want to get in my house and I want to stay away from everybody. And it ain't got nothing to you. It's not you. It's me. Ain't that what they say? <clears throat> but my point is this. My po- I don't even know what my point is. What am I talking about? Why did I say that? Anyway, let's go to verse 58. (laughs) I got no clue where I was going. Verse 58. Oh, the reason I do it. I'm sorry. The reason I do it. I do it because I genuinely believe this gospel. I really do believe it. I really understand. You want to know why I believe in God? You want to know why I believe in the Bible? It's because the Bible is the only thing that can explain to me why my heart is the way that it is. Why I do the things that I do. The Bible's the only thing that can tell me why I am so evil. Can I get an amen? And the Bible is the only thing that gives me any hope to want to change. And that's why I do what I do. Because I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I believe in the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has bought for me. And then I want you to notice, and I'm closing in verse 58. What's the first word of verse 58? Therefore. Therefore. Now think about this. Therefore. In other words, because the resurrection is true and look at all the lives that were changed, look at the apostles and look at Peter and look at the brother of Jesus, James, and look at me, look at Paul who was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. Look at what the resurrection did in my life. He said, because we have all these witnesses and we have this evidence and because of the promise of a new body that's coming and because we're going to walk and talk with our loved ones and because our dead in Christ are not perishing but they're, they're living with Him and we're going to meet them in the air one day 
And because of the hope that we have of this new body and the hope that we have that death will be no more because of that, look what he says, Therefore, what should the effect of the resurrection be in your life as a Christian? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be what? Steadfast. What else? Immovable. Always doing what? Why? Because you know that in the Lord, what? The resurrection effect. I have one question to close with each and every one of you this morning. Please listen to me. If you claim to be a Christian, listen to me. What kind of hold does the fear of death still have on your life? Or do you believe in the life that Jesus promises and you believe that in Him is true victory over death and is true life? And do you believe it enough to make you steadfast in the gospel that you received, that you stand in, and that you are being saved by if you continue in the faith of this gospel day after day after day after day? Does it make you steadfast? Does it make you immovable? Does it make you always abounding in the work of the Lord so that you are not afraid to lose your life now because you don't just live once. You live twice and you live forever. I end with this scripture in John chapter 11 verse 24 and 25. Did I give you that? Look, start at verse 25. Look at what Jesus said to Martha. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You remember what Jesus said to her? I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he what? Fagan, Nick's not dead. Chastity, Eddie's not dead. Martha, Tommy's not dead. Everyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who what? Lives. And you know how we live? By dying to this life and living and laboring for the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I close with this simple question from the Lord Jesus, not from me. You read it. Do you believe this? Church, can I tell you this morning, I believe it. I believe it with everything in me. And that, my friends, is what I celebrate today. I celebrate the defeat of death. And my question to you is this, if you believe it, then do you see the resurrection effect in your life? And if you don't, Go back home and read through 1 Corinthians 15 again and you don't stop reading it until you believe it.